Hi, this is Tom Compton of We Hold These Truths. You're listening to the Unheralded News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths at whtt.org on the web. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's podcast for Unheralded News, we're going to talk about the subject of boycotts, divestments, and sanctions as related to the state of Israel. A recent item is noteworthy, the Presbyterian Church of America in their annual conference voted not to do divestments. And so we kind of want to talk about that. Why don't you read that notice there, Leslie, please? Sure. Presbyterians reject divestment measure, Friday, July 6, 2012. Pittsburgh. The U.S. Presbyterian Church decided against divestment from companies supplying Israel with equipment to enforce control over Palestinians, officials said. A Thursday General Assembly vote... 333 to 331, with two abstentions, rejected the so-called BDS movement, encouraging people to boycott, divest from, and sanction companies to apply economic leverage and encourage Israel to return occupied lands to the Palestinians, the New York Times reported. Quote, what divestment will achieve is this. We will add a whisper soon lost in the storm, but we will further the divisions in our church when we have our own serious problems to address, and we will precipitate divisions with synagogues within our communities whom we work with frequently on a variety of issues, unquote, said Arthur Shippey, a delegate for New England, quote, this will be perceived as picking on Israel, and how could it not? Unquote. The General Assembly was considering divestment against Caterpillar, Motorola Solutions, and Hewlett-Packard. Caterpillar provides bulldozers to demolish Palestinian homes. Motorola provides surveillance equipment to monitor Palestinian villages and Hewlett-Packard supplies scanners used at checkpoints, the Times reported. Quote, the Palestinians aren't asking us for a check, sisters and brothers. The Palestinians are asking us for justice. They're asking us for dignity. How can you write a check to a people who don't control their own water? Unquote, said Tim Simpson, a delegate from Jacksonville, Florida, who voted in favor of divestment. All right, thank you. Now, there's been comparisons with the campaign of BDS, boycotts, divestments, and sanctions, conducted back in the 80s against South Africa. And, of course, there's a major difference with this in the fact that the United States government supported those sanctions against South Africa. In this case, the United States government is firmly against the sanctions against Israel. Plus, during the speech by 
President Obama to the APAC convention in March in Washington, D.C., he specifically said that the United States government was against any forms of sanctions. And from our experience, we see that this is kind of a go-nowhere type of activity. It, uh, As we see from this Presbyterian church, they've been working on this for several years, and they're pretty well equally divided. It only got voted down by a, a couple votes, actually. So there, there was a very slight majority that voted the down. So it's a split issue, and it's, it's not really that clear cut. And as we found out a few years back in 2004, BDS at the time probably was only boycotts. I'm not sure of the exact history of this, but Chuck Carlson, why don't you tell us about you were invited to a, a venue at Duke University by a Palestinian group, and it's interesting because what wound up is the fact that they let the students have a session on boycotts and so forth, but did not allow you to speak on the topic of Christian Zionism. Okay, just in the way of background, and then I think we can talk about our response to this and how our listeners should respond to Presbyterians they know about this. Uh, in the first place, this is the Presbyterian Church USA. There are divisions of the Presbyterian Church. There are several of them. And there's a, a Reform Presbyterian Church, which is decidedly conser- ultra-conservative in terms of Calvin, Calvinism, a- expressing John Calvin's planks. The Presbyterian Church USA would be referred to as a liberal branch of the Presbyterian Church. And to start with, I want to make my own response to this. I am grateful that there are 300 delegates out of 300 out of 600 in the Presbyterian Church that actually would take any kind of a position that would be uh, that would challenge the state of Israel in their relationship with the Palestinian people. If we go into our own churches and we talk to the leaders of the church and these 600 people who voted, I think oh, 600-odd people, are definitely the leaders of this sect of Presbyterians. In our own churches, we would be hard-pressed to find 300 people in the entire church who would even understand us when we talked about these things. Uh, certainly in the Christian evangelical churches, just bringing up the subject would be considered an anti-Christian uh, act. So there is some hope uh, for all of these churches. It's a disappointing thing to, to read that they didn't win their their position, but uh, we need to r- keep in mind that there are a substantial faction within the PC USA who would probably sit down and debate with us on this question and if, if those people were available, they might even come on this program and talk to us about it and, and join in in this discussion. So uh, that's the very strong positive to this, is that there, there's a, at least a debate. Now, as for the issue itself, it's not a winning issue, in my opinion. And the best uh, indication that it's not a winning issue is that the leaders in the state of Israel probably don't care a hoot whether this gets debated or not. 
uh, if there's going to be something debated about Israel, they would love to have people argue over whether they're going to sell their Hewlett-Packard or Caterpillar tractor stock because these giant companies happen to do business, a, a very small minority of their business, in Israel. A Caterpillar tractor, of course, made the bulldozer that ran over Rachel Corey and probably gave it to the state of Israel, for all we know. Hewlett-Packard and, and, and many, many, many defense companies are involved in providing military hardware and software to Israel, which, which are paid for by the American taxpayers. But is the Presbyterian Church making good progress if they talk their, their board of trustees, let's say, into selling the 10,000 shares of Hewlett-Packard stock they have in their, their endowment funds? These old-line churches have big endowment funds, and they do have stock, and that sounds enormous to us if, you have, if you're talking about a million dollars worth of stock, but Caterpillar Tractor trades about a million dollars worth of stock every minute on the New York Stock Exchange. So what the PCUSA would really do by divesting of their Caterpillar stock would influence the stock market for about uh, 15 seconds, and then that would be absorbed by some other investor, and that would be the end of their divesture. But, uh, Tom, your question, of course, that you asked me was what happened to me and what happened to us, and, and most of the people in this broadcast and remember this very well, Tom and uh, Leslie and uh, Travis is on with us, and they all remember that due to the influence of a, a very uh, devout Christian guy whose daughter went to Duke University, and who knew us and liked what we do, they went out of their way to suggest to the Palestinian Student Association leadership that they have a workshop on Christian Zionism and get to know what this big enemy of the Palestinian people called Christian Zionism was. And the students responded immediately and said, why not? And so we got an invitation to come. And a week uh, or two before we were to go, the Palestinian Student Association announced their agenda, and my name appeared on the agenda, and, and our topic appeared, and also it gave some detail of what this was going to be all about and talked about a workshop so that every student from all over the country who came there would have gone away probably having some knowledge of Christian Zionism that they, none of them really had before they came. The Anti-Defamation League and many of its, uh, several of its surrogates launched an attack on the students. They actually went to the president of the Duke University and they demanded that Duke cancel their, uh, their hosting of this national conference. The Duke University president responded immediately. He just simply said, no, we believe in free speech and this is a free speech issue and they have the, they have the floor. Then the Anti-Defamation League went out on the national press and uh, denounced myself and two or three of the other speakers who were on the program as being dangerous anti-Semites who shouldn't be allowed to, to speak. And from that, what they did is they found ways to organize among the student leadership, and it turned out that there were Palestinian Association leadership who were part of a Jewish organization that was predominantly Jewish, and true to form, 
some of the board of directors of this Palestinian Student Association were Jewish, and the Anti-Defamation League and others who I could name and do do name in my uh, story about this uh, issue immediately launched a very vigorous attack on the students themselves. And out of all of this, then, a compromise was suggested, and the compromise was that if they would drop the story about Christian Zionism and the workshop about Christian Zionism and stick to divesture, that the Jewish leadership would not make further objections to them holding the conference. It was a very easy way out for the students. It was very embarrassing for my friend and and his daughter, who was on the who was who was kind of denounced for bringing me in. And in the end, they simply notified me that I should stay home. I was no longer in the program. They removed the the program about Christian Zionism, and they went on with their divestor program. And the program came off. There's a lot more detail to this, which we've written about. The point that was so clear from all of this is that the Jewish powerhouse, the Israeli powerhouse in America, the Zionist movement in America did not care if they talked about divesture. They didn't care if they discussed should colleges sell their Hewlett-Packard stock and Caterpillar stock and whoever else they decided was on the Israeli side and helping with the occupation. What they did not want was they did not want the door opened to the idea of Christian Zionism. And so we come back now to the Presbyterian Church USA, PSUSA, they're called. And I would say that they need the same thing. We need to somehow try to influence these 300 leaders to take another look at the course that the church should be taking. Why not try to encourage them? This is going to be more difficult, of course, but why not try to encourage them to challenge the question of Christian Zionism as the real danger to the Palestinian people and simply let the, the subject of divestiture sort of fade away. Now, Chuck, there is an interesting aside to this. The Presbyterian Church of America has developed a program. It's a series, has a workbook and a video. It's called Steadfast Hope about the Israeli Palestinian conflict, and it's very even-handed, although some people would say it's it's more pro-Palestinian, but only because of the fact that there's so much propaganda for Israel that we get here in the United States, so any attempt to a balanced approach would appear, if you only believe what you see uh, in our media and you only believe our, our government would appear that the Israelis are getting the short end of the stick in the presentation, but it, it's not true. So they have done something that is trying to educate people, and it does actually mention Christian Zionism in the Steadfast Hope and some of the beliefs there. And so that's, a, I think, a very positive thing that they've done. They've worked with some of the other denominations. I think they were developing a similar program for the Episcopalians and some other churches. So that type of thing, an education-based movement to the realities of the Israeli occupation of Palestine is needed. And I think that's the, the point is they don't want Christian Zionists to wake up 
to what's actually going on in Israel. They want to continue the tours of Christians coming to Israel and not going into the West Bank because their Israeli guides tell them that it's too dangerous there, these people are fanatics and what have you, rather than uh, exposing the truth. So some of this truth is getting out, maybe not as fast as we in the movement would like, but it is trickling out. So that is a positive thing from the Presbyterian Church of USA. I think we should basically color this as being very positive. Uh, they they did do battle, and they need a new approach. And I haven't seen steadfast hope, but anything that uh, treats this in the least bit even-handedly will be opposed by the Israelis. The Israelis will not like anything that's even halfway fair toward the Palestinian position. The question yeah. is how to help this to expand. Our problem, of course, is that many of mainline churches simply do not go as far as the PCA has gone. The Methodists have done some things. The Episcopalians have done some things. There is a movement within the Lutheran churches, the mainline churches. We should ask ourselves quickly, what is the difference between the PCA and the Southern Baptist Convention that makes it possible for half of the people in the PCA, or at least half of the leadership, to even talk about this idea of Israel is guilty of oppression of the Palestinian people when you would not even hear that ever discussed or mentioned in the Southern Baptist Convention, bigger, of course, than the PCA by far. And, of course, we know the answer to that because that's our work. It is the idea that the state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, that definition of Christian Zionism, that we ourselves have more or less are responsible for inventing, perhaps. And if you were to talk to the delegates of the PCUSA, they would be not inclined to endorse that definition. They would say, no, the state of Israel is not the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. They might have debates to what extent Jesus was, uh, but they, they, they would probably not. Very many of them would take that position. The same is true of the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, uh, other Presbyterian churches, uh, the Episcopal Church, and with the exception of individuals in all of those, all those mainline churches essentially think Israel is another country, and predominant numbers in those churches would, whereas in your evangelical churches, probably 90% would say Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Well, right, but there is a big schism there, because you look typically the attitude of many in the evangelical fundamentalist camp consider these liberal Christian denominations as not even being Christian and so forth. And right. so they'll point to things like they deny the, the divinity of Christ, uh, things like that. So you've got a very big chasm to jump over to get into the camp of the Christian Zionists, how do you get them aware? And, of course, that's what the Israelis and the Israeli lobby here in the United States don't want any wakening up uh, of the Christian right. As we've mentioned before, there is awareness of some of the radical elements like John Hagee, for example, who's openly prayed for war and called for, for the, the war in 
in Iraq in 2003 before it started and has called since, I think, 2006 for war on Iran to protect Israel. And so there is a distancing of some people in the evangelical right from guys like John Hagee. We're seeing that, that they don't want to be equated to him, although they're sort of in this camp. They believe that Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. So more exposure will get the eyes hopefully opened up uh, of the our fellow evangelical Christians. Right. Many of us have come out of the evangelical Christian camp, so we know that people do come out of it. And we do know that you cannot put a rubber stamp on everybody in evangelical churches. And the evangelical church does not want to lose the 10 or 15 percent of their membership and support who are really not Christian Zionists and have not been influenced by it, are somehow skeptical of it, and can be influenced to, to actually go someplace else and give their money someplace else. So this is a war of ideas that the Christian Zionist leadership is very anxiously defending their membership, and they will move heaven and earth to keep these ideas that we discuss from ever entering in their door for fear that, for knowledge, for certain knowledge. They know that there are people who will believe it and will listen to it and will see the logic and will respond. So breaking down the Christian Zionist church is tough, but it's a numbers game. Here in the Evangelical Church uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention, we're probably talking about 5 or 10%, but that 5 or 10% is absolutely crucial to the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, they can't afford to lose them, and uh, they, they can't afford to lose them for the theological reasons. So whereas in non-evangelical churches, they may have a female pastor on the pulpit, that uh, would be uh, who would be condemned by the Baptists. They they may be uh, flirting with the idea of ordaining homosexuals. This is the Episcopalian Church is doing that. There's all kinds of revolting things going on in these mainline churches that some of us would not agree with at all. But again, there is a more open door there because they they are not inculcated with the Christian Zionist definition. And as we pointed out in a broadcast earlier this year, the issue of Christian Zionism, we saw this for a second time dramatically to us when we were invited to show our video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and Turning, at the Christ at the Checkpoint conference in Bethlehem, Palestine, back in March. But we were disinvited from showing that film after a very heavy attack uh, on Chuck Carlson and some of the other people in the venue there because of the subject of Christian Zionism. So we understand that it is a very, very important issue that the Israelis don't want to get their support base awakened. And so... That's why I think they allow things like this BDS and knowing that it's not going to be that effective, particularly since the United States has come out against it and it's just not even known by a lot of, a lot of people here in the United States. 
Travis, yeah, do you they're... have any comments you'd like to have? No, it's uh, very, very interesting. I didn't realize, Chuck, that 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 subject was even on your Duke program. I, oh yeah. I, yeah, that's new to me. Yes, that that was that was why we were there. That's why we were there, and uh, it's what we talk about every place we go. So uh, if they let well, us in the, the door same... anywhere, they're going to hear about it. I meant the sanctions thing. I knew your subject was on. I oh, didn't okay, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, divestor. I yeah. think they called it the divestor conference, as I recall, as I can, as I recall. No, that's that was in. That's in. Yeah. Of course, you know that's been around, particularly since it was so widely known for, for the campaign conducted in South Africa against the apartheid regime in South Africa. In our stories about the Anti-Defamation League, we have detailed our history uh, of our persecution that we've had to suffer and uh, how it's been done personally by individuals who we actually knew, some of whom came from our own community. Uh, so it isn't just a big, big international organization that powers these things with huge money from above. It's actually organized right down to the local level. And on our website, there is a time you might give that uh, that connection. And um, we've, we've treated the story about how the Anti-Defamation League does attempt to silence their uh, opposition and marginalize, marginalize, because with them it's a, it's a matter of compromise. They know that they can't win every argument, and they know that they can't win every debate. So what they try to do is they try to shape the debates into areas that they can handle and that, that do uh, the least damage. It's damage control with them. So commonly they take the side of one issue, one effort, uh, as opposed to others, and try to divert people into, into an effort that they don't consider effective and that they believe they can handle, and probably that's the case with divestiture. Okay, well, for that link, actually you can do a search 2004 Duke University Palestine Solidarity Conference. If you put in Duke University Palestine, that'll that'll get uh, get you to it. Thanks very much for everybody's input on this very important subject. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast, and please visit our website whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.